Hi everyone, welcome to the Telephone Selling with Integrity podcast, saying and doing the right thing on the phone, even when nobody else is listening. This podcast is for people who lead telesales, inside sales, and customer service call handling teams. Basically, it's for any leader that wants their teams to sell with integrity over the phone. In this episode of Telephone Selling with Integrity, I have the one and only Ben Jury, who I had the privilege of interviewing. Ben is the culture guy. And for many of you, as you know me by now, culture plays a massive part in all of the things we do in terms of telephone selling with integrity. So culture plays a massive part of that. So I'm really encouraged to have Ben with us today to share some of the techniques, the methods, and also his view of culture and how it can help your call centers and your contact centers in addition to any other businesses that you may have. So I hope you enjoy listening to my interview with the one and only Ben Jury. Ben, welcome. Welcome to the Telephone Selling with Integrity podcast. It's an absolute privilege to have you with us today. Um, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me. How's your week going? You having a good week? I'm having a good week. It's been manic, always manic in the world of Gary Morgan, <laughs> um, but it's been good manic, you know, as, as we've discussed many times together now, Ben, that if you don't love what you do, then you need to get out, right? And absolutely and my wife always complains says can we have a holiday i'm like a holiday from what yeah. i love it <laughs> i love that i love that so really good to have you on um i know that our listeners are going to to get a huge amount of benefit every time i've spoken to you i i've always come away with with a different perspective or some kind of value that that you tend to always give to me that I'm able to to use myself. So I guess before we get into the whole thing around culture, my first question really is, is how did you end up where you are now? It's one of those long convoluted stories. So I'll spare you the kind of deep details. But I've always, whenever I've been in work, I've been in work since the early 90s, shall we say. I know, I know, I don't look that old. But... um, and whenever I've been in work, it's always surprised me how people treat their staff. And I've always been fascinated with the concept that actually when people are happy and they're enjoying what they're doing, they do a much better job. So for almost 20 years, I've been absolutely confused and bamboozled. Why? Even if you were a kind of hardline capitalist looking at the bottom line and nothing else, why you wouldn't make your people happy? Because you make more money. Mm. So... Whatever organization I've been in, and I've worked in banks, I've worked in retail, I've even worked as a, as a child protection social worker. Um, but there's, I've always been curious as to how people treat the, the, the workers, the people on the ground floor that are putting their shoulder to the plow. 
And those places that are happy, why don't they make them happy? Why don't they create places where they can thrive and do their best work? Mm. And it took me, it took me an awful long time to realize that actually what I saw other people didn't see. And it took me for, for many, many years, I couldn't work out why people weren't doing these things. And it was only the last kind of four or five years that it's, I've suddenly struck me that actually people didn't see what I saw. And at that point, I suddenly realized, well, hold on a minute, if that's the case, obviously, I can add value to people's companies. I can actually help leaders understand this and implement better systems and implement better places to work. And I kind of fell into it like that, just out of fascination with the whole concept of why isn't everybody happy at work? Because when that happens, the companies make more money. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and it was only with that real revelation of, well, not everybody sees that, that I suddenly was able to kind of formulate something that I could then help and, and implement in organizations. And that's kind of how I fell into it, really. That is, that's a great story. And I've, I've heard it a few times from you now myself, and it's, it's still as engaging every time I hear it. And, and one of the things that, that you mentioned there was leading into, you know, culture, I guess, is that if people enjoy working where they're working, then everybody wins, really, I guess is what you're saying. Everybody wins. The, the, yeah. the employee wins because they're enjoying what they do and hopefully they're getting rewarded for that. And the customers of the business win because they have employees that are engaged and kind of are happy to go that, that extra mile that I think we all want. Certainly within the call centre, the contact centre world, we all want employees um, that are willing to go the extra mile. And then finally, as, as you kind of alluded to there, it's, it's the business leaders themselves that they have employees that are engaged. And ultimately, are you saying then that, that when all of those three things are aligned, the business, there is a difference to the bottom line of that business? Is, it that, is that that kind of plain, do you think? It is that plain. It, it might not be as, as visibly tangible on a day-to-day -day basis, but all the research suggests companies with strong culture make more money. Mm. Companies that have really clear on who they are and live up to those expectations actually can increase their revenue by as much as 600 700%. That's what the research shows, and it's consistent across many studies across many years. When you have a strong culture that people buy into, your revenue goes up. I can't spell it out any, any plainer than that, really. Well, I think that's what that's 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 music to my ears for sure. And I'm sure I know there's a lot of contact centers out there that 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 would certainly resonate with them as well. And just moving on then, Ben, how do if I've got a client or anybody listening to this right now, you know, a contact center leader, they're listening to this right now and they understand what you're saying. They, they love the fact that they want to engage people. They want their clients to have a good experience and, and they want to make more money. But how do, you, how do they get started? You know, because if it was that easy, then I guess they'd be doing it right by now. You'd like to think anyway. So how would you, you kind of encourage the listeners, you know, the leaders in within the call center well to to get going really it's, it's really good and it's a really good distinction to understand that it is simple but it's not easy <laughs> we can all understand it 
but actually putting it into putting it into action is actually quite a difficult process. Often um, in the face of possibly vocal opposition, because nobody likes change. And you've got a group of people there and you're coming in with a whole new kind of idea and way of doing things. And it's like, well, hold on a minute, I've only just figured out the last one. So it's, it really isn't easy to implement. So if you've tried it and you're struggling, don't panic, that's normal, all right? It doesn't mean it's not worked. It just means you perhaps need a little bit of finessing in how you do it. But if I was going to start, I essentially, whenever I work with clients, I take them through a four-stage process. And it doesn't matter you know, whether you're a, an accountant, a builder, uh, a tech developer, a call center, whatever you are, there's a four-stage process to go through. And the, the process is really easy to understand. And when you get into the nuts and bolts of each stage of the process, it's a little more complicated and it's a little more nuanced. But essentially, there are four things you need to do. First, you need to do is define what the hell you're doing. Why do you exist? What are you for? What is this about? What, what does your call center do? What are, you, what are you adding to the world by existing? Because people want to get up and go to work and do something that's worthwhile. Yes, they're getting paid, but they still want to do something that actually means something to them in some way. And you know, we've got a trillion different kind of what means something to one person doesn't mean something. To, you yeah. know, there's all sorts of different combinations. But people I guess, want to get up and just before you continue there, there, Ben. Sorry to interject, but it'd probably be good. I'm just thinking it will probably before we get into that four stage process. I'm just wondering if many people many people are asking the question that i asked of you which was how do you define culture in the first place because i think that's something that you're really passionate about and that comes through again every time i speak to you is that unless people understand what culture is in the first place and there's this this cultural definition if you like within internally or within the organization within the contact center call centers Unless they get that, I remember you saying, unless they understand what culture is and means to them, then it's probably not going to work for them. There can be a whole load of pain with very little gain. So how do you, I guess the question is, how do you, or how do you, yeah, how do you define culture? That's a, that's a great question. It is a good place to start because it, it, it's got a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. But let me, let me try and explain it with a bit of an example. Now, <clears throat> Imagine you're walking down the high street in the town where you live and you bump into an old school friend, mm -hmm. someone you haven't seen for, for many years since you were at school. You get chatting to them and you discover they've just moved into town. They don't know many people and they've just started a new job. Um, so you think, actually, when they were at school, probably a reasonably sensible person, maybe I'll invite them around for dinner, do them a favour, perhaps help them kind of settle into the, to the town, maybe rekindle a friendship, maybe and, and so they agree, and they agree to come around to dinner the next day. And the next day, you, you sort out your tidy your house so it at least looks tidy and clean. Then you um, cook them a nice meal, and you wait for your guest to arrive. And your guest arrives, um, you introduce them to your other half, and you sit down for food. And then things get a little bit weird. Not, you know, good weird, but freaky weird. <laughs> Before you've even pulled your chair in, your guest has piled half the food onto their plate. There's, there's barely any left for you and your other half. And they're shoveling it in, mostly with their hands, not really using the knife and fork. And you ask them a couple of questions. And while they're talking, they're spitting food on the table. And the language they're using, oh, my goodness me, some of the words you've never even heard, Gary. Wow. 
Wow, how are you feeling bad. like how are you feeling right now listening to that story? Are you feeling a bit uncomfortable? I'm I'm thinking I'm glad I know people like you, Ben. I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> Can I Can you imagine if it was happening in your house? Yeah. What, uh, what would you do? Would you would you be like, right, I'm gonna feign tiredness, I'm gonna usher them out of the house as soon as possible and never invite them again? Or are you gonna go, actually, no, I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that that behavior is not appropriate in this house. Mm. And that is what culture is, that little word appropriate. Right. I don't suppose you've ever sat down and written the rules for coming to Gary's house in a big binder. No. But there are rules. There are expectations. There are norms for the way you behave when you go around to Gary's for dinner. Yeah. And when it's people kind of cross story. that, you know, and you feel it. And that's all culture is. Those expectations and norms and beliefs and behaviors that are shared by members of a group. That is all culture is. And whether you've defined it and been explicit about it, every single organization has a culture. And if you haven't been explicit about it, it's coalesced to the easiest common denominator. Yeah, that's really, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and it really does resonate because you're right about expectations, you know, and, and appropriate. And for me, one of my things is, is when you come in, you, you gotta, you know, I like people to take, they remove their shoes. That's just one of the th that's one of the things I, I don't like people smoking in my house or vaping in my house, you know, and it's just things like that. And as you say, you and I've not sat down and consciously thought, right, when people come to my house, they must remove their shoes. They must not smoke. They must not vape. They, they must sit down at the table and eat. You know, we don't do that, do we generally? No. But as you say, there is that expectation. And I and I think what I'm hearing is, is that those same expectations that same appropriateness happens in the in the workplace so in the call centers the leaders you know the directors the operations managers the team leaders they will all have expectations of their of their team and actually by the way each other yep. not just their team they will all have these expectations but because the expectations haven't been kind of laid out so to speak then this is where we get the butting of heads. Yeah, is, is that kind of? Am I hearing you right there? Yeah, you you will get those those butting of heads, but you'll also get if you introduce somebody to the culture that doesn't fit. So you know you might have a certain way of doing things, and somebody comes in and goes, "Well, that's crap. I've always done it this way. It's much better." Yeah. Hold on a minute. Hold on. We don't like this. This doesn't right. work. And actually, that's sometimes what happens. So what you have to do is be really clear on what culture you want and make sure everybody understands it. And everybody, anybody coming in knows these expectations and are, are, um, are recruited against those expectations as well. So you don't hire anybody that's not willing to, to join in with those expectations. And when, you, when you're really clear and everybody understands what those values are, those expectations, what that cultural definition is, it does something really, really strange. It silences that little voice in the back of your head, that lizard brain that's constantly going on. Am I good enough? Do I belong here? What are the rules? What if I behave like this? What's the consequences? They behaved like that and they got rewarded. Perhaps if I behave like that, I'll get rewarded. Great. Once everybody is clear on what's actually expected and the, you know, the rules of engagement, that cultural values, that little voice kind of gets a bit quiet. And you stop worrying about whether you belong or what's good or what's bad. Because, you know, you've been told it's been explicit and you can actually start to perform. 
you can actually start to do your job. Imagine we could all silence that little voice in the back of our head that's constantly going, am I good enough? What should I do? Actually, imagine what we'd achieve if it would just shut up for a minute. Mm. That's what building and defining culture properly does. Shuts up that little voice. So let's everybody suddenly is able to perform. That is wonderful. And, and I guess that's leading me on to another, you know, you saying about recruitment, because it's kind of nicely leading me on to, to something else within the contact centre world. And, and recruitment is massive. And, and the other thing that I find interesting as well within call centres that I certainly have worked with um, over the many, many years now is the difference in culture in each call centre or contact centre. But not only, which is not that unusual, you kind of, I guess that makes sense, really. Why would every call centre have exactly the same culture? They, they tend not to. But what I find really in, in just kind of baffling, really, is that you can have one call centre where everybody is employed by that call centre, yet the culture can be completely different depending on the campaign that they're working on. So some campaigns, the culture is X. With another campaign, the culture is Y, et cetera, et cetera. So how, would you, how, how do you help call centres and contact centres where... They have an overall culture of the business, but then because they are a contact centre and they, they outsource or, you know, they, they are actually handling calls or web chat or whatever it may be, or they may be making calls or receiving inbound or outbound. And the client has certain um, parameters or metrics, I suppose, in which they need to perform and a certain culture within that, within that campaign, really. How did that seems to me like a real challenge for the for the I mean with an accountant, for example, it's it's it seems to me relatively easy because everybody's an accountant and they're all dealing with clients and hey ho. It's not quite as simple as that within the call center world. What would you how would you help those individuals that have got those different campaign cultures almost, Ben? I think it's not quite as simple as that in the call center world because they have potentially not been really explicit and clear up front about their culture, their own culture, what they stand for as an organization and the lines they will not cross. For example, you know plenty of call centers. There's a few that I know. And if you say to them, right, would you sell guns over the phone to children? Mm. Most of them are going to say no. Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? Because it's just ludicrous. That's just <laughs> evil. Nobody's going to do that. Okay, so we've, we've now got a line that you won't cross. Okay, let's move it a little bit closer. Would you sell cigarettes? Yeah, probably not. Okay, what else are we going to sell? Would you sell PPE? Mm. Well, we did before, but we won't anymore. Okay, okay, we've moved the line a bit closer. Yeah. So the whole point is that when you pick your clients, you're automatically going, right, this is how they want us to behave. Are we prepared to cross those lines to behave like that? And the answer sometimes yes, sometimes no. When you have been really clear on your own values, those decisions become really easy because like, no, well, does it fit? Yes. Does it fit? No. It, it becomes so simple. And it's, it, there's no problem partnering with people who you share their values and they want to deliver in the same way. And yes, there's always going to be a few gray areas. But when you've nailed down, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. These are our values. 
and somebody comes along to say, can you do this campaign for us? You take a good look at your values, a good look at what's expected, and you go yes or no. It makes it much, much easier when you are clear. When you're not clear, that's when it becomes a harder decision because you've got to remake that decision every time somebody comes along with a set of values. That is superb. So it, I, I think that what that's making me think about is the call centers that I've worked with who have had campaigns that have just drained their time, their resource, the margin, because of it's become so, so, you know, staff dependent, it's become so management heavy because they have to get involved so much. And with hindsight, they regret, even though it might seem that, you know, financially it was, it was good for them actually, or it appeared to be good for them, but the, the pain wasn't, or the gain wasn't worth the pain. Yeah, and and one, of those clear, one of those clear values is very much, actually, this is how we want our people to feel when they come to work. If yeah. we take on this campaign, that is going to be at odds with how they feel when they go home at the end of the day. So let's not do it. Yes, they're offering us loads of money, but 50% of our staff are going to leave because it's no fun. Therefore, it's actually going to cost us more than we're making from it. So and it, once you're clear on what your values are and where you stand with all that, those decisions become so much easier and they waste so much less energy. That is really good. Thank you for sharing those nuggets so far, Ben. And um, I just kind of want to want to just do a bit of a summary at this stage, I think, really. So, so kind of what I'm... What I've taken from our conversation again today is you need to bring, when you're looking at the culture, you've got to bring it back to the purpose. So what is that contact center's purpose? Why are they doing it? What are their values, their behaviors? You know, what do they want to encourage? And ultimately, culture is about defining and then implementing those behaviors. And then the final takeaway for me is if the contact centers get that bit right, then it reduces staff turnover. Absolutely, yeah. In the call center world, is a, in many campaigns, it's a big issue. You know, attrition. It's, yeah. it's a huge problem for many call centers. Um, so if we could, they reduce staff turnover because they recruit the right people with the right values, with the right behaviors, for the business and also because of all of that it increases productivity because people are enjoying what they do everybody's aligned and then finally they see the monetary benefit at the end from that culture that's been implemented within the organization is that if i missed anything do you think ben in in that summary at all no that's that's exactly it let me give you a quick example about um, call center out in India that had a massive problem of roughly 50% turnover. Mm. And they implemented two really, really small culture changes. Um, and what it did was, <clears throat> it was essentially an experiment that one year they took on 200 new people to the call center because they were looking at this issue of staff turnover. And they split them into three groups. One group got the standard onboarding that they'd always given. Second group got the standard onboarding they'd always given, plus an hour telling them how wonderful the company was and what they could achieve if they, if they stayed with the company. The third one got the standard onboarding, plus an extra hour, 
of training around how they thought they could contribute and what they could bring and where they'd like to go in the organization. And it, it focused on them as part of the organization as a whole. At the end of a year, the final group were 250% more likely to still be with the organization than the control group, the first group. Wow. Just that simple one hour. So it's, it's absolutely massive, the small changes. Another example is a, a, a recruitment company in London that I worked with, basically a call center, working on the phones with, um, with employers and employees. Sure. Um, and they implemented um, unlimited holiday and fully flexible working. And essentially productivity went up 40% and turnover went down to zero. Wow. Simply because people felt they, were, they had the freedom. They enjoyed the work they did, but they just hated being told when they had to do it. <laughs> Take away that constraint. And essentially, it cost the company nothing as well because the amount of holidays they took didn't actually increase at all. It just took the same as they did last year. No, Productivity no. went up 40%. And simply by small changes to the culture, it has a massive impact on your revenue and your costs if you get it right. But I think one of the things that does need to be said from that summary is you kind of said this definition and then the implementation. That mm. implementation is absolutely key. And that's where you know, people like myself will help organizations because that is really quite difficult to land it, to make it stick and to embed those behaviors well into the organization. So, yes, that implement, you know, implementing it is really important. But that is where the rubber hits the road, really. That is superb. Absolutely brilliant. So kind of gone through quite a lot so far and and i hope everybody's still enjoying it i certainly am i always do when i'm talking to you ben as i've said now a few times we were going to start a little while ago um or you were going to share your four kind of points if you like or implementate implementers or um the things that you you think must happen and then i stopped you because i <laughs> wanted to find out actually let's go back to what culture is so we defined that and we've moved on so so now i think would be a really good time um ben for you to share those kind of four points if you like the or the four steps to to implement stuff into your culture because one of the things that we we always come back to is that staff attrition and you know customer retention and staff retention and employee engagement um some steps maybe for you know just as we start coming towards the end let's let's just if we can give the listeners at least four nuggets i guess yep. to take away absolutely and you know we've said it's simple to understand and really difficult to actually implement and we you know we've said that already and that's why uh, these four steps are absolutely you know, there are four simple steps but each one has so much depth into it it needs some kind of expanding a little bit, but essentially the four steps are defining what your purpose is and your values, being really, really clear on the culture you're trying to build and the behaviors that reflect that culture and taking some time out to really dig deep to what are the true core values of your organization is really important. But then once you've got that definition done, there are three steps to actually making sure it sticks in your organization. The first one is team. Now, find passionate people to journey with. Gather people that actually want to be part of what you've said you're trying to build. Because A, they'll take a hell of a lot less management. B, they'll put their heart and soul into it. And C, they will live up to the values. 
Mm. And that's how you make culture stick, by everybody living up to those values. So gather the right people. And that means hire people according to, do they share those values? Yeah, yeah. Then you need to look at talking a good story. You need to make sure that all your messaging, everything you say, your marketing, your internal marketing, the way you talk to each other reflects the values that you've set out. That's how you become authentic. That's how customers connect with you deeply because they see your values, they share those values and they connect. So you've got to make sure your messaging and your voice is actually reflecting who you've said you are. And the final stage is about acting the part. It's about creating ways of working and policies and procedures that reflect, again, your values. This is who we are. These are the behaviors we want. So let's reflect those in how we're going to do business and be really clear on those. So that's your four stage process, you know, creating a purpose that people want to get out of bed for with the values alongside, finding the passionate people to journey with, gather that team, talking a good story, making sure all your messaging lines up and then acting the part, creating all your policies and procedures, your metrics, your rewards, your ways of working so that they reflect those values. And if you get that four stage process right, actually you'll start to see your culture change and it doesn't need to be difficult. It doesn't need to be expensive. You just have to be clear and, you know, sometimes a little bit belligerent of these are the lines we do not want to cross. These are the behaviors we expect. That is brilliant. Thank you so much. And the one thing that, that I took, I mean, there's many things as always with you, Ben, but the one thing that, that kind of resonated with me was, was talking a good story you know, making sure everything is aligned, your marketing, your meetings. And you actually said, you know, how you talk to each other. And that is, is a real fascination for me because, again, within the call centers that I go to, they all talk about you, this is how we need to create a customer journey. This is how we need to talk to clients. Very often, the reason they've got me in is because you know, they want to do everything with integrity. So I'm all about integrity, you know, telephone selling with integrity. But of course, that doesn't just stop with telephone. It, it, it bleeds out into the leadership and how you're talking to each other, etc. And the one thing that, that there seems to be a huge contradiction, a, a gulf is, and I, and I do say this to leaders when I'm working with them, is that you're saying to your staff and you yourselves are all talking to clients in such a respectful, hopefully anyway, such a, a respectful and courteous manner. And yet, the way I hear you talking to each other internally, at times, at times, it's actually quite disgusting. It's disrespectful, the way you talk to each other. And there's a huge disengagement. You know, there's a huge you know, chasm, really, between what they want and happens with the client and then how they they talk to each other internally and what i think you're saying ben is is that you've got to have all of that aligned you can't be be a culture where oh when we talk to clients this is how we behave and yet when we're talking to each other we can behave this way i think what you're saying is it's the dna and the dna doesn't change even whether you're talking to each other or with a client. Have I, have I understood that correctly? You have. And there, there's definitely there's two things there. One is the truth will out. 
if behind the scenes you are just abusive to each other and you're not actually, you don't really give a crap, the customer's going to know. They might not be able to articulate it. They might not be able to put their finger on what it is that makes them uncomfortable about doing business with you, but they know. Mm-hmm. They, under, you know they can feel it. And the second thing is that when under pressure, the normal way of behaving will come out. Yeah. And that you, you know, we see this all the time with the call centers we don't like dealing with versus the call centers that are actually pretty good at, and you don't mind phoning them up because they'll get the job done and they'll fix it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Anytime you're under pressure, anytime you go, look, I am annoyed as a customer, the defensiveness goes up. And every and if that's the kind of behavior they're seeing behind the scenes, that they're the managers are defensive when they're getting questioned on their numbers, and that's what's going to happen when they're on the phone, whether you like it or not. As soon as you get under pressure, those behaviors are going to come out. And unless they're all aligned, it, you you those surprises are going to come up and customers are going to know. So actually, absolutely, they should be aligned. And if you've got a value of, we want to look after people, we want to have compassion for our customers, have compassion for your staff. Because quite frankly, monkey see, monkey do. They're going to see what people get rewarded for. They're going to see how you behave and think, well, screw it. If I'm allowed to behave like that, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. You know know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really does resonate in the the contact centre world. Because for the most part, it is a high-pressured environment. It is, you know, if you're an outsourced contact center, then, you know, you're juggling a lot. You've got all sorts of different clients, different campaigns, different SLAs, different metrics, et cetera, et cetera. And what might be good or what might be a good agent on one campaign doesn't necessarily translate um, or transfer into another campaign. So there's a lot of pressure, you know, on call center leaders and the teams for the most part. And I think you're right in what you're saying there. When we're under pressure as human beings, I think it is a human thing that the tr- our true self normally shows when we are under pressure. It doesn't always show. When everything's hunky-dory and life is good and we're kicking back the hills and we're sitting on the beach and we wish. Um, but <laughs> when we're doing that, it doesn't bleed out. But as soon as that pressure starts to come, and it will come, it yep. will come. It's inevitable, right? So when it comes, that's when I think what you're saying is the true behaviors come out. And if you haven't got the culture, the right culture, if you haven't embedded that culture, then you're in for a whole load of pain. And that's what we see. And Absolutely. that's where the attrition rates come in with, within the call centers, et cetera. Absolutely. And it's not to say, don't get me wrong, it's not to say we all have to be perfect all the time. We're human. We're going to make mistakes. There are going to be days where Brian in the yellow team is really going to piss us off and I'm going to tear a strip off him. But if our culture is correct, later on in the afternoon, I'll buy some donuts and I'll have Brian in the office and say, Brian, I was an asshole this morning. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Bad day. Don't mean a totally my fault. Sorry that to let's talk about what happened. See if we can fix it to make sure it doesn't happen again. But the way I reacted was totally not okay. That, you know, that's fine. That shows the culture of yeah. we're human, we accept behaviors, mistakes can be made. But if it's a case of, well, actually, I'm just going to tear a strip off you anyway, and I'm okay with that, that's the way we behave. Yeah. Then yeah. imagine, you know, Brian's on the phone, he's got to make his numbers. Mm. That's going on in the back of his head. He's not going to yeah. do the best work, is he? No. He's totally no. not going to do his best work. 
And that's because that voice is now playing yeah. that story he's telling yeah. himself and there's a misalignment and all of those things. So again, one of the cultural characteristics, I guess, is from a leadership point of view, is humility. Is, is, which is kind of what, I, what you're saying is, is that admitting that you're wrong sometimes. And I know there's many times, and, and many people remind me, by the way, that I've been wrong many times. <laughs> hey, you met my wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, we're all going to be wrong at times. And then we don't all get it right. And that's why it's, it's not good, I don't think. I don't think it's beneficial to yourself as a leader, but also those that you're leading, if you have a very dictatorial approach you know, where it's your way or the highway and all of that kind of management speak. Because be sure enough, yeah, they will go on the highway. They'll go to another company that's going to be aligned with what they think or how they think they deserve to be treated. You know, yeah. I've seen call centres. I've worked in call centres where people have had, you know, agents um, have had their sales agents or advisors have had their seats taken away from them. And with the thought of, you will, you only get your you have to stand up and make those calls and then as soon as you get a sale then you can get your seat back now i don't know what kind of that that doesn't seem that seems that's a very old fashioned way to run a sales team in my opinion is that selling with integrity absolutely not is that leading with integrity in my opinion and that's all this is this is just my opinion that is not integrity that is, you know, making almost shaming people into to selling rather than. And by the way, this is what this is the, the real fascinating bit for me is not only did they do that rather than actually give them their seat. And actually, why don't you sit next to them, draw up your seat as a leader and give them some exactly. coaching, give them some exactly. tips, give them some training, whatever they need, invest in them rather than shaming them. Yeah. And that's the thing for me, you know, and that's a, a bit of another takeaway, I think, from today, Ben, is that invest in your people rather than just taking or shaming your people. Absolutely. And some of those people, ultimately, perhaps not the right people for the job. That's OK. You know, we try things and we, you, know, you sit down with them, you work with them. They're still not anybody. You think, well, actually, is this a job for you? Probably not. Let's help. Let's help you find somewhere else. Yeah. But those people that are right for the job, a little bit of arm around the shoulder, a little bit of come on, it's. Let's, let's give you some encouragement. Actually, they turn out to be absolute mint. They turn yeah. out to be brilliant at it. And I think, you know, the old adage is coffee is for closers. That, you know, it's, <laughs> we, we've got to be so careful because yeah. people aren't at their best when they're under that kind of pressure. And yeah. going back to the whole concept of mistakes, I have yet to meet an organization that doesn't make mistakes on a daily basis. No. no. The biggest part of whether you grow as an organization is how you deal with those mistakes. They are going to happen. You have to have space for them. If the intent is right and they're trying to do something and a mistake is made, that's brilliant. You've tried something that didn't work. Let's figure out how to make sure we don't make the same mistake again. But well done for stepping out and risking something. If you cross a line where the values are, we've said, look, these are our values and you've crossed over. that. That's a whole different matter because you know what the values are. You've stepped out of bounds. I'm not OK with that. Yeah. But if I'm within the values, and I'm trying something and it didn't work. OK, well done. We need risk takers. We need people to keep us moving. Yeah. It's controlled risk, I guess, is what, yeah. what we really talk. I think it's it's creating the culture 
where obviously we have to mitigate mistakes because, you know, we can't let people be maverick and all of a sudden we lose the client, you know, and we get a bad reputation and nobody wants to use our call center again and all those things. But at the same time, you do have to create a culture where you're not expected to be perfect every day. You know, we aim for perfection. We aim, you know, it's that Kaizen approach that I often talk about, that continuous improvement that I know that you and I have, have spoken about as well, Ben. And, and it's that continuous improvement. But you can only have continuous improvement if you're allowing people the space to make the odd mistake. And if you don't allow that space, then you're basically suffocating them. And that, again, I find amazing is when, call centers bring in some really good talent and then all that all those reasons why they recruited that agent or that manager they basically forget that and then they suck it all away from them to make them fit into how they want them to be which doesn't really make much sense does it no i you know i'm gonna I'm going to hire you and I'm, you're brilliant and I love you. I'm going to pay you 60 grand a year to come and work for me. <laughs> now we've done that. You sit down and do what you're bloody well told. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hire somebody and pay them 12. It'll, yeah. Doesn't uh, make any sense. Absolutely. Listen, Ben, um, as always, it's been a pleasure to, to have some time with you. I feel like that always whenever I'm around you. I, I think it would be really useful for anybody listening to this, certainly within the contact centre world or the call centre world that may be hearing this and they may be thinking, do you know what? A lot of what was discussed today, um, a lot of the things that, that Ben and Gaz have, have shared today, actually, they resonate with me and I, and I need to do something about it. So how can people get hold of you, Ben? I mean, obviously, they can... They can come to me and I will certainly put them in touch with you. But maybe it'd be good for you just to share your, your details, please, Ben, if you don't mind. So. Yep. Um, you can find me on the web at thecultureguy.co.uk. Or if you get into Google and you search for Benjamin Drury, the culture guy, I'll come up there at the top. Beautiful. There's not many Benjamin Drury culture guys. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. There's only one. <laughs> there's only one of you. And thank goodness for that. And, and because there's only one of you, that's what makes me feel really privileged to have you within the session today, um, within the, the podcast today. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Ben. Goodbye for now. No problem, Gary. Thanks for having me. It's always fantastic to talk to you. If you work in a contact centre or a call centre and you've got some stories to tell, some insight and wisdom to share, then please get in touch with me, Gary at GaryMorgan.coach. It's been a pleasure!